Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. A 62-year-old man was suffering from terrible stomach pain, so he was rushed to the hospital. His family told the doctors that he had a history of mental illness and that he would sometimes swallow coins. So they took him back for an x-ray, and sure enough, he had swallowed some coins, 350 to be exact. So they rushed him into surgery where they removed the coins. Unfortunately, he passed away a few days later from complications. Very few people swallow coins, but there are numerous people who are gorging themselves on money and materialism, and it's making them sick. Money is a motivator, and it seeks to be a master. And one of the things tied to this motivator is greed. But what is greed? Well, we know it's not a good thing, if for no other reason because of what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1. Look there with me. Starting in verse 28, it says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a depraved mind to do those things that are not proper. People having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So here you have greed tucked in nice and neat with wickedness, inventors of evil and murder, leaving no doubt as to the severity of this sin. But let's get a little more specific. What is greed as it applies to me? Well, you might be greedy if you use illegal or immoral means to acquire things. And there is a story in the Old Testament that illustrates this perfectly. Remember Naboth? Naboth had this vineyard in Jezreel. And it was close to the palace of the king, who at that time was Ahab. And Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. And he offered him either the value of it or another vineyard like it. But Naboth didn't want to sell. It was part of his inheritance, his family's inheritance in the promised land. He felt like getting rid of it would break faith with God. And so like a sulking and pouting child, Naboth refused, or excuse me, uh, Ahab refuses to eat anything. He refuses to, to sleep. And, and so his wife, Jezebel, steps in and basically says to him, you're the king, just take it. And she actually acts on her own to set up the murder of Naboth so that her husband could have what his heart desired. It's a picture-perfect illustration of the monster of greed and how that monster has to be fed. Along those same lines, you might be greedy if you hurt others to get something for yourself. No regard for others and a high regard for self indicates a major heart problem, obviously. To crave and plot to possess something that another person has is the epitome of greed and is a surefire indication that you're bowing down to a little G God. You might be greedy if you complain more than you give thanks. You know, greed is never satisfied. Never. 
It always wants more. Enough is never enough, and therefore you combat greed with contentment, being satisfied with what you have. You might be greedy if you're more concerned about cash than you are character. We've said it before, but you are not an owner of anything. You are a steward. You are a manager of the things that God has placed in your hands. And Scripture always presents money as a means and never an end. Money always serves a subordinate good in Scripture. Money is meant to be a blessing, not a master. And not only a blessing to you, but if you're blessed with it, you are to bless others. You might be greedy if your finances are going up while your spirituality is going down. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters, and greed demands your allegiance. There's a reason why we offer uh, our allegiance to the almighty dollar rather than the almighty God. You know, God, in his infinite wisdom, knew that money would be his chief competition, that many people's hearts could be stolen by it. And so Jesus talked about the subject of money and materialism over and over again. The story is told about a, a multimillionaire who was visited by a genie who, who said that it would grant him one wish, anything you want, just one wish. And so the multimillionaire, his wish was that he would get the financial news a year in advance so that he could make investments in the here and now that would pay off in the future. And so he was granted the wish, and one day he's looking at the financial news in the paper a year in advance, and he glances over to the other page, and he finds his obituary. Obviously, his investments didn't mean as much in that moment. Greed assigns a wrong value to temporal things. Greed is being so much into your stuff that you miss God. And Scripture illuminates this for us through a character that we read about who had an encounter with Jesus. And while other Gospels record it for us, we're going to look at the recording in Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 26. Here's what we read. It says, And someone came to him, Jesus, and said, Teacher, what good things shall I do so that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good, but if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and you you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Young man said to him, all these I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you want to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished, and they said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Now, there's a lot of teachings we can take from this passage, but the main thing I want to focus on is this. Why did the rich young ruler walk away grieving? Why did it bother him so much to hear what Jesus had to say? And I think the first thing that we see is that this man was great in two ways. He had great moral wealth, and he had great financial wealth. You know, 
I say this a little tongue-in-cheek, but in some of our churches, that would make him an elder, right? Pretty good guy with a lot of money, yeah, let's make him an elder. But when you look at this man, you see that he was a moral person who also had money. You consider his character. He was probably a man of influence, probably someone of integrity, had his life together. Add to this the fact that he was humble enough to come to Jesus and, and say, what am I still lacking? Is there something else that I need to do? He asked the most important question anyone could ask, and certainly that gives us a, a preview into his character. He asked the question, what, what do I have to do to get to heaven? The most important question anyone could ask. And Jesus is more than willing to give the man an answer. However, the answer our Lord gives him is way more than he bargained for. Think about what Jesus is saying. He's telling this man, who is morally wealthy, that he's not as close as he thinks he is. You're not near as close as you think you are. That must have cut his legs out from under him. He indicates that at least in his own mind, he was already on the right path, that he was close, kind of like that you know, Eagle Scout waiting for his last badge, or kind of like you know, that investor just needs one more thing to add to his portfolio. And Jesus is like, no, you're not as close as you think you are, buddy. Notice how he frames this question. Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? It's like he assumed that getting to heaven was, was about adding something else to his resume. But Jesus blows up his religious views because that's what happens when you have an encounter with Jesus. He blows everything up because he wants to build something brand new. The rich young ruler got way more than he could have ever bargained for, but that's what happens when you come face to face with Jesus. An encounter with Jesus will disturb you. The gospel demands way more than we could ever imagine that it could offer. But it's going to require may, way more from you than you ever probably thought. The gospel changes everything. It's not just about goodness. Good is relative anyway. And compared to God, compared to Jesus, no one is good. Even the rich young ruler who thought he was. And deep down, I think this man knew that he wasn't truly good, which is why he came to Jesus. Maybe he wanted confirmation, but I think deep down he knew that he wasn't truly good. So Jesus turns the conversation from being good or doing good to the real issue. And the real issue was the cancer that was eating away at his soul. You know, we tend to divide humanity into two categories. Good, bad, moral, immoral, naughty and nice. However you want to frame it, that's how we tend to divide humanity. Just two categories. And so we have this dividing line. Good and bad, that's, that's it. What we fail to realize is the dividing line is not horizontal. It's vertical. It's up and down. So good and bad both have the opportunity to be saved. Moral and immoral both need God, right? Naughty and nice, they both need salvation. What matters is not your goodness or your badness, if that's a word. What matters is your deadness. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. The issue is not your goodness or your badness. Doesn't matter how many commandments the rich young ruler had kept. Didn't matter how religious he had been. What mattered was, where was his treasure? It's kind of like the, the man living in Southern California who had just bought himself a brand new BMW. He was so proud of his car. And then one day driving to work, the big one hit. Huge, massive earthquake. 
and the earth swallowed up his car, completely totaled it. And although he was severely injured, losing an arm, he was still able to crawl out of his car. And he's lamenting the fact, my, my poor Beamer, my poor Beamer. And somebody standing off to the side witnessing it said, how can you be upset about your car when you've lost your arm? And he looks down and he's surprised and he goes, oh no, my Rolex, my Rolex. <laughs> Obviously, he was concerned about the wrong thing. Where's your treasure? Life follows your heart. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But here's the great news. Your heart is mobile. It'll go wherever you want it to go. You have com complete control over where your heart goes, what it follows, what it's devoted to, what it worships, because your heart is movable. You have complete and total control. The rich young ruler asked a great question. But little did he know that the answer would affect more than his brain. It would cut directly to his heart. Jesus refuses to keep things at an academic level. He's good with knowledge and giving out knowledge. He's good at dispersing doctrine. But at some point, the knowledge has to travel that 18 inches from your head to your heart. And Jesus isn't content keeping things at an academic level. The rich young ruler thought that maybe there was a T that he missed crossing or maybe there was an I he forgot to dot. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's, it's not about that. It's not about all these deeds and, and, and moral wealth. There's something that he was missing in his thinking. We have a gentleman here. He's a friend of mine that was baptized here about a year ago. His name's Jack. And, you know, Jack and I were having coffee one day before he got baptized. And he was talking about his journey of faith and talked about how growing up, much of his life he was agnostic and then pretty much atheist. But then he got to law school at Baylor, and he had a professor that was sort of his spiritual counselor. And he said, I would ask him questions all the time. And he said, I, I had a hard time wrapping my mind around the existence of God, why God does these things. And, and he said, it, it was all on an academic level. It was all in my head academically. And he said, this, this spiritual counselor, this professor of his, would talk to him every day about it, and, and he ended up telling him, look, Jack, you don't have to figure all this out in your head. Because at some point, even the atheist has to take a leap of faith. We've all got to take a leap of faith. Whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, we all have to take a leap of faith at some point. You're not going to have all your questions answered. And Jack said that was a light bulb moment for me. It was a very freeing experience to know that I don't have to have all the answers, that I just have to trust in God. And at some point, all of us have to take that leap, don't we? All of us have to trust in God. Jesus is the teacher. He's not content staying at an academic level. And he hits the rich young ruler right in the heart. And I want you to notice Mark's account of this episode. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. It says, looking at him, Jesus showed love to him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. According to Mark, Jesus looked at the man and showed love to him. Jesus wanted his heart, and he wanted the rich young ruler to want that as well. He wanted the rich young ruler to want the same thing that he wanted. I don't know about, maybe you do, maybe you can correct me on this, but I don't know of any other encounter that Jesus had with an individual where he told them they had to give up everything to follow him. 
I mean, Zacchaeus gave a path, but I don't know of any other individual that had a face-to-face with Jesus, and he said, you got to give it all up to follow me. So why here? Why the, why the drastic measure here with this young man? Well, I think it's kind of akin to someone who's an alcoholic. He can't have a casual drink anymore. He's got to cut it completely out of his life. It's destroying his life, so he's got to get rid of the thing that's destroying him. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. He sees the heart of this individual. He sees past the facade, and he says, this is controlling you to the point that you can't see straight. You've got to get rid of this. You've got to cut out the cancer and then come and follow me. But the rich young ruler obviously didn't like what Jesus was telling him. The only way Jesus could get what he wanted was for the man to walk away from it all. And in essence, Jesus says, I want the most important thing in your life. You see this with Abraham in the Old Testament. He waited and waited for a son, and his son finally comes. The son that he had prayed for, the son that he loved so deeply. And then God comes along and says, okay, let's see how much you love that son. Are you placing the gift over the gift giver? Are you loving the blessing more than the blesser? Are you willing to sacrifice it for your loyalty to me? And of course, Abraham passes the test with flying colors, not so much with the rich young ruler. Jesus' test for him was this. You said you've kept the commandments, so let's see. How about the first one? You are to have no other gods before me. How about that one? Obviously, he couldn't answer that faithfully. And that's really what it boils down to for every single person. Can you walk away? Can you walk away from a ball? Not that you will be asked to, not that you will ever be asked to, but could you? How tight is your grip on things? To ask it another way, is enough enough? Is Jesus more than enough? You know, it's just a fact of life that the stuff that we own can easily own us. Have you noticed that? It's really easy for this to happen. You know, you, you buy a car and you've got to have insurance. You've got you to make payments on it, perhaps. You've got to take it and get the oil changed, all that kind of stuff, regular maintenance on it. If you have a, if you have a car like my son's, you're, you're doing constant day-to-day maintenance, it seems like. You own a house. You've got a mortgage. You've got taxes. You've got to pay utilities. You've got to have insurance on that as well got a phone it needs to be upgraded every so often if you got a computer it has to be updated if you think about all the different things in your life that are needy so many things in your life have needs to the point that the things you possess can easily possess you if you're not careful Jesus says let me have your heart let that be enough because someday Someday it's all you're going to have. I read the story about a man many years ago who was found dead in New York City. Apparently a true story. This man was homeless, living on the streets. He got his food from, you know, food lines, serving lines. Other than that, he, he didn't eat much, lived on the streets. We assume that homeless people are folks that uh, are that way because of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, none of that. No one really knew why he was homeless, except that he was found dead. He died of starvation and hypothermia. He was found dead, covered in a blanket of newspapers, the Wall Street Journal to be exact. And in his hand, clenched in his fist, they found a key that went to a lockbox at a local bank. 
They went and they tried the key, and sure enough, they opened it up, and they found $10 million worth of stocks, bonds, and CDs. They talked with the family, and they said, why, why would he do this? Why would he live on the streets? Why would, he, why would he live as a degenerate when he had all this money? And, and family said, you know, we never could get through to him, but he never felt like enough was enough. He always felt like that he, he had to have more. He let his money rule his life, and he died a poor rich man. And we all do, don't we? We all die poor. Sometimes you hear people say, oh, he died a multimillionaire. No, he didn't. He died penniless. Everybody does. You don't die with anything. You're not going to take any of this with you except your soul. Which makes sense that Jesus would say something like, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? It makes sense that Jesus would put so much emphasis on eternal matters and storing up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth because you're not going to be able to take it with you anyway. Back in uh, 2019, flight 1492 was transporting passengers from Moscow to Murmansk in Russia when lightning struck the plane. There was electrical failure, and so the plane had to return to Moscow. And when the plane landed, it bounced, collapsing the landing gear. Fuel spilled out from the wings of the plane, and it was quickly engulfed in flames. 41 of the 78 passengers on board were killed. Witnesses who survived and, and video footage showed that the evacuation didn't go as smoothly as it could have. That more people could have survived, but they spent their time trying to grab all their carry-on and all their baggage before they got off the plane. I don't want to be too judgmental. I think if you're in that situation, it's probably a natural reaction just to grab all your stuff, right? But it highlights what we've been talking about, and that is at some point, you've got to be able to leave it behind. At some point, you've got to be able to walk away from it, don't you? So my question for you this morning is, can you do that? Can you walk away without grieving? If you have a need this morning that we can help you with, Luke's going to lead us in a song. We'd love to pray with you. I've been meaning to tell you this for a few weeks. We've had a lot of issues with our baptistry over the last few years now. There's no water in it, but we have a really good plan B, and it's not outdoors. It's in a building. We, we've got a good plan B. So if that's something that you desire to do, let us know, and we certainly can take care of that as well. If we can pray with you, study the Bible with you, help you in any way, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?